Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. All right, welcome to this hour of the program. Rob Breckenridge with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. Again, our number 403-974-TALK, 974-8255. Coming up a little bit later on this afternoon, uh, Timothy Caulfield, University of Alberta, will talk about this new national campaign uh, that he's involved in to counter COVID misinformation. Also talk vaccines. Uh, We've heard a lot about the question that, you know, why isn't Canada more of a player when it comes to development of vaccines or the capacity to manufacture vaccines? Uh, We're going to hear from the uh, CEOs of Providence Therapeutics and Northern RNA, uh, and, and that speaks to both sides of this. Uh, Providence looking at developing a vaccine. Northern RNA says they're in a position to manufacture these kinds of messenger RNA-based vaccines. That's coming up at 2.30 today. Uh, but off the top of this hour, I want to uh, talk about the uh, status um, around the 2020 Summer Olympics, which, of course, became the 2021 Summer Olympics. Uh, Tokyo uh, set to host the, those Olympics last year became pretty obvious at the outset of the pandemic. Maybe not as obvious as quickly as it should have been to the IOC, but uh, that it was a no-go. So the decision was made to postpone the Olympics until this coming summer, the summer of 2021. Maybe at the time, it seemed like a reasonable expectation that things would more or less be back to normal by the summer. Uh, sitting here in late January, that's a little less clear. And so there's certainly a lot of trepidation in Tokyo and in Japan about the idea of hosting the games and having the world descend upon a country uh, that is dealing with its own surge in COVID cases. Now, there was some conflicting stories last week about whether a decision had been made. Sounds as though maybe Tokyo officials have concluded that the games can't go ahead. They're insisting otherwise publicly. The IOC is insisting everything's fine, but uh, there appears to be a growing backlash uh, in Tokyo at the idea of hosting the games. Uh, So joining us to talk a bit more about uh, what what seems to be going on behind the scenes, why there's such an insistence in hosting the games this summer, what happens if the games don't go ahead, what does it mean for Tokyo, what it mean for the uh, IOC. So some pretty big questions on on all of those fronts. Uh, Joining us to talk more about it all is uh, Jules Boykoff. He's a professor and department chair at Pacific University in Oregon. The Department of Politics and Government has written extensively about the Olympics. Uh, much more, his website, JulesBoykov.org. Professor Boykov, great to have you with us here. Welcome back to the program. Thanks. It's good to be back. So let me ask you the, the question, first of all, based on everything you're hearing and seeing, what, what do you think the chances are that the, the games are going to go ahead this summer? Well, I think the chances are slim that we'll see a traditional Olympics with fans in the seats and a regular opening ceremonies where everybody marches together in a full Olympic village with athletes from around the world spending a few weeks in Tokyo. That is probably not going to happen. What I think is probably more likely is that the International Olympic Committee, in partnership with the Tokyo organizers, will push for a a game that has 
less people in attendance, if anybody in attendance, and that will probably shuffle athletes in and out for shorter periods of time, dialing back things like the opening ceremonies that will have much fewer athletes and that sort of thing. That's the kind of ideas that have been moving around Olympic circles recently. The reason why I say that the games would go on despite the fact that we're in sort of a raging global pandemic, is because the International Olympic Committee has so much money at stake. Because I'm sure your listeners are like, what, Olympics? An optional sporting spectacle amid a global pandemic? That sounds weird. And it does. Mm -hmm. But if you think about the money shuffle, it makes a little bit more sense. So who's calling the shots here? I mean, is is it really still the IOC? Or to what extent are our officials in Tokyo or or even in Japan's federal government uh, involved in the decision-making process? Well, in theory, both the Tokyo organizers as well as elected officials inside of Japan have some say in the matter. Of course, the International Olympic Committee, based in, based in Lausanne, Switzerland, has enormous influence in the process. They're quite a bit at stake. You know, it's hard for me to say exactly who has their hands on the wheel at this moment. They don't let me in the room, I'm sure you can imagine. <laughs> yes. These are pretty tightly closed meetings to the public. Um, but I think, at least in theory, it's a partnership at this point. What's at stake here, though, for the IOC? I mean, you know, theoretically, this could be postponed yet again, uh, but but it seems like it, it all kind of hinges. I, I'm, I'm not sure what exactly, but they, they just seem to have drawn this line in the sand that the games have to be a go this summer. Why, why do you think that is? Well, from the IOC's perspective, the International Olympic Committee, they get most of their revenue from broadcaster fees. To be more precise, they get 73% of their revenues from broadcaster fees. Like here in the United States, NBC pays an enormous sum of money to broadcast the Olympics. And so that accounts for part of it. And that also accounts for the fact that the International Olympic Committee is willing to probably do a more scaled-back game that doesn't include spectators so long as it's a major TV event they can keep that money flowing from broadcasters' coffers to their own coffers. So there's that. There's also the corporate sponsors that make up another big piece of the IOC pie in terms of its revenues. They have 18% of the revenues that come from corporate sponsors, worldwide sponsors like Alibaba, Panasonic, Visa, etc. And they have to keep those sponsors happy. What happens if there's no Olympics? This is the big moment for these firms that have forked over millions of dollars to get their names out there associated with the Olympic brand, which, despite all its problems, actually still has a general halo around it. So long as it's not happening in your city, the Olympics are generally pretty popular with the general public. Well, and but maybe not these games. Uh, there was a poll out uh, just a few days ago that um, 80% opposition in, uh, is it in Japan as a whole or was this in Tokyo? But either way, there, there seems to be quite a pushback against the idea of going ahead with these games. No doubt about it. I mean, this is amazing what we're seeing right now, Rob. 80% either want cancellation or yet another postponement. We haven't seen numbers like this in any recent Olympic Games. And it is remarkable, and I think you can point to a lot of different factors that help explain it. For starters, the public in Japan was told that these Olympics were only going to cost about $7.3 billion. That's when it was back in 2013, and they were bidding on the Olympics, $7.3 billion. But instead, costs have spiraled to well over four times that. I talked to an economist this morning who follows these kind of matters, and he thinks it's up in the neighborhood of $35 billion. So it went from $7 billion to $35 billion. 
if you listen to the Japanese government itself, they'll tell you that it was $26 billion at least, and that was before the delay. So, right. you know, a conservative estimate, let's just say $30 billion. And if you're looking at that as a taxpayer in Japan, because almost all of it is paid for by the taxpayer, only around 6 to $7 billion of that is paid for in private entities, you're going, what? We're paying for this? Second, you know, you've, as you mentioned in the lead-in, the amount of cases of COVID are rising right now in Japan. And another thing that really matters is that the uh, vaccination program that's rolling out in Japan is rolling out relatively slowly. It looks like no one's been vaccinated really yet, and and they don't think that the whole population will be uh, vaccinated until the end of May, and that's pretty optimistic. Put on top of that the fact that a lot of people in Japan are reticent about talking about the vaccination because they don't necessarily think it's the best course of action. Around half the Japanese population in one poll I saw is pretty nervous about vaccinations and not exactly excited about it. So they have a lot of issues that they're grappling with right now that are truly a matter of life and death. So you can kind of understand from the perspective of the Japanese public, they're like, what, we're going to import a bunch of people from around the world, especially places like coronavirus hot zones, like the country I'm coming to you from in the United States. We're going to have them come over and bring more of this deadly disease to our population. No thanks. You know, let's take care of this once and for all and then move on from there. And on the the question of vaccines, this was was quite something a few weeks ago. And I I guess, you know, the IOC, (laughs) it's not the first time maybe we've heard something toned down from somebody at the IOC, but it was a Canadian uh, in this instance, uh, Dick Pound, suggesting that Olympic athletes should get priority access to vaccines. What, What did you make of that? Well, Dick Pound, one big benefit of the Canadian member of the International Olympic Committee is that, you know, he's been around the International Olympic Committee longer than anyone else who's a current member. And he'll tell you what he actually thinks. And oftentimes, you know, you have to sort of assume that what he's saying and has the guts to say in public is something that's being said behind closed doors among the IOC. And sure, they're desperate to have this thing go on. The games must go on from their perspective so they can keep the money flowing and hopping. And and there's also a certain amount of ego among folks at the International Olympic Committee. They think the Olympics are the be-all, end-all, most important thing in the world and that kind of thing. So they're pretty comfortable, I'm assuming, having folks jump the line, if you will, jump the queue. And it's, of course, on the regular public, it's a pretty tone-deaf thing. I mean, thinking about, like, there's a lot of need in these different countries and to have these Olympians jump the line. Where does the line then uh, ultimately end? Do their families get to go? Of course, the medics would need to get vaccinated. There are so many questions from the perspectives of athletes. And, you know, Rob, I talk to Olympic athletes behind the scenes all the time, and there are serious concerns about the way the International Olympic Committee and Tokyo organizers are organizing this and talking about this. Just for one example of what I'm talking about related to vaccinations, are they going to be forced to get a vaccination before Mm -hmm. they go there? They might have long quarantine periods if they don't get vaccinated. Will they be able to access it? If you're from a country in uh, the global south, you might not even have the opportunity. Your country might be way at the back of the line, um, which is a horrible thing, but it's true. Unfortunately, the way the vaccines rolled out. So there's all sorts of questions. In addition to the fact that a lot of athletes are wondering, will I have to sign a waiver to participate in Tokyo? It basically says I won't sue the IOC if I develop COVID and maybe myocarditis and have long-term problems from this. So, so many questions are, are, are looming from the perspective of the athlete that are also kind of slowing down this train a little bit. There was some some talk out of Florida today about making an offer to to take on the Olympic Games, and and I don't know how serious that was, but is the idea of of moving them somewhere else is is that being considered at all? 
it's funny. You know, when I saw that, I actually thought it was an onion piece, but in <laughs> reality, it was put out by the Florida chief financial officer, Jimmy Petronas. Apparently, he, he sent a letter to the International Olympic Committee asking them to relocate those Olympics from Tokyo to Florida, like as if Florida is some kind of mecca of a COVID-free zone. It's absolutely mm-hmm. not. I mean, it's really not the place you probably want to go, world. I'm just uh, telling you from here in the United States, I wouldn't do it. But, you know, leave it to the Sunshine State to uh, really go for it like that. After all, they are hosting the Super Bowl and, and other yeah. events right now as if nothing is going on. And that's kind of actually part of their argument. I mean, they don't say it, but the basic argument is, look, we're so irresponsible. We'll have anybody come into the state. We don't care. We'll make us a little bit of money. I don't think this is something to t- be taken seriously. I mean, it takes an enormous amount of infrastructure to create the Olympics. There's all these specialized venues from the velodrome to you name it. So I don't think the games can just be popped over to Florida in a matter of a couple of months as much as the CFO and the state of Florida might like that. The other thing, too, is, you know, we, we start to, to get closer to, you know, the talk of the, the Winter Olympics, the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing. And look, I'm, I'm sure there is zero chance that China is going to delay that. Uh, China loves this this opportunity, this platform. The idea, though, that if the Tokyo Games don't go ahead and, and China gets to host the first post-pandemic Olympics, how, how do you think that plays into you know China using the games as as a propaganda tool? And obviously, there there are other concerns, human rights concerns uh, around China hosting the games this time. Well, pretty much any country that has the Olympics uses it as a propaganda opportunity in one way or another. Um, China, as you mentioned has all sorts of human rights problems. But absolutely, it should be pointed out, do not chime with the sentiments that are buried everywhere in the Olympic Charter, talking about freedom and using sport for uh, creating opportunities for people, no discrimination, and all that beautiful stuff that's in the Olympic Charter, absolutely clashing against the reality on the ground in China. And it's not as if the International Olympic Committee didn't know that. I mean, the 2008 Summer Olympics took place in Beijing, and there were massive crackdowns, massive relocations. More than a million people lost their homes to make way for Olympic venues and so on. And, and yet the, the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, basically said, oh, that's okay. You know, they'll get you back for the 2022 Olympics. I do think there's a little bit of truth to the rivalry between China and Japan in the sense that I think people in Japan might feel crummy if they weren't able to pull off the Olympics and China does only a few months later the Winter Games. But, you know, that's still a little bit of uh, country pride or nationalism isn't exactly like the reason for playing the whole population at risk. It'll be interesting to see what, what happens with, with Beijing. It'll be the first city to host both the winter and the summer games. But the pressure's really ramping up. I mean, with the more information that comes out about the Muslim Uyghur population that's being treated extremely poorly, there are massive human rights violations. And the pressure is ramping up. And even here in the United States, we've had senators from the U.S. Senate suggesting that the game should be moved from Beijing. And, of course, here, at least in the United States, China is sort of a bipartisan punching bag. So we kind of have to keep that in mind with any time we talk about it. But, yeah, they're using it as a propaganda opportunity, just like most other countries do. Well, we'll leave it there for now. See what unfolds in the coming weeks here. Professor Boykoff, appreciate the insight on all this stuff. Thanks for joining us here this afternoon. Nice to talk to you, Rob. Take care. Likewise, much appreciated. Uh, Jules Boykoff, uh, professor, uh, department chair of the Department of Politics and Government, Pacific University in, uh, in Oregon. JulesBoykoff.org, and uh, he's written a few books uh, about the Olympics, very much a, a critic uh, of the IOC. So a lot of uncertainty about what's going to happen with the uh, Summer Olympics 
this summer in Tokyo, whether that's uh, even going to happen. And, uh, of course, the question of whether it should. Our number here, 403-974-8255. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.